What is up, divers? Welcome in to the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow me on Twitter at Deep Dive FF, Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com, which is always popping during the offseason. With that being said, let's get to the content. Let's go, baby! Guys, oh my goodness. Oh my freaking goodness. The Buccaneers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are in the Super Bowl in their own stadium. First time ever. I am so excited. Yeah, that's right. You're getting some Bucks love on the other side of the mic. That's how it is. That's what happens when uh, your fantasy podcaster is a Bucks fan and they're in the Super Bowl, man. Oh my goodness. And I got one more, one more video for y'all. This was me after, you know, I didn't really settle down, but after I settled down a little bit, once we cleared the house, because, you know, we were having, we had a whole bunch of people over, we're celebrating this amazing game. And then once everyone left, I had one more moment, just I couldn't contain myself. And then we'll get into the podcast. Here it is right here. So yeah, yeah, you could say I'm freaking hyped. And honestly, man, we'll, we'll talk about this, right? Because the Super Bowl is two weeks away. So we're going to talk about this matchup. And either team has a chance to win it. But whew, man, looking at that Chiefs team, that offense may be the most unstoppable offense we have seen in a extremely long time. I'm hoping that the home crowd comes through and we kind of got like a, you know, home Super Bowl advantage kind of thing going on. And also, the fact that the Chiefs won last year, it's very hard for teams and not often that a team repeats back-to-back. Even Brady struggled repeating back-to-back. I think he did it uh, once in the early 2000s. But, you know, that's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping we got the crowd behind us and the factor of the Chiefs winning two in a row being would, would be another outlier in this season. So, I'm hoping we can pull it out. But even if not, man... The Buccaneers are in the freaking Super Bowl. With Tom Brady, you gotta give the man respect. He comes over in a season with COVID and no real offseason to get to know his guys, right? He's coming to a new system, a new offense, new players. Every single thing is new. He's doing this at 43 years old, and he comes in, changes the culture along with Bruce Arians, and takes his team to the Super Bowl. Amazing, amazing. And I know you guys are saying, pfft. What about his three interceptions? Look, man, with the plays that were called, most of those interceptions, I would say two of the three were not his fault. I would say only one was the one he left inside to that Amos ended up picking off. But outside of that, man, honestly, Brady had a good good game. And he hadn't thrown an interception, by the way, in like 390 passes before this week. And there's some crazy stats. I'm going to just throw them at you. And then we'll finally get into some other stuff outside of the results of this last game. 
And one of them being that we already talked about it, no team has ever played in their own stadium in a Super Bowl. That will be a first. Also, the Bucks have won, I think, seven straight now. The last team that the Bucks lost to was the Kansas City Chiefs, right? And the Bucks are undefeated when scoring 30 points or more. So, what's the key, right? The key in that Super Bowl is going to be putting up point, putting up points, and we just got to generate a turnover or two. If we can generate a turnover or two and then keep up offensively, I think we got a shot. But it's going to be super difficult. Anyways, with all that said, right, guys, the website is up, back up and running. I got my articles on quarterback dynasty rankings, running back dynasty rankings, wide receiver dynasty rankings. I will have the tight end dynasty ranking article if it's not already up up very soon. So I'll have all those up and then I will start working on, you know, I might do like a mock draft article because I will be doing a mock draft episode as well. And then I may be looking into starting the college football prospect analysis, which will be super fun. Um, I know a lot of you guys really liked that last offseason. Those were actually my most popular episodes last offseason. So I'm looking forward to it. And with that said, there's two questions I want to address before we get into the tight end position because I'm only doing my top 12 because after that, it's really murky. So we're going to have some time to talk about some other things here. One of those things is the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers situation because right after that game, you know, well, not right after, but about like an hour after the game had ended when we were just about close to getting into halftime of the Bills Chiefs game, I was like, man, let me watch the Aaron Rodgers postgame interview. So I turned it on. I watched it. It's about 12 minutes. Um, I actually posted the most um, the most glaring part of the interview on Twitter, so you can find it there if you want to go to my Twitter at DeepDiveFF to see Rodgers. And the way he's talking, guys, I really don't think that he wants to be in Green Bay. Like, the way he was talking, it sounded like one of two things. It's either a retirement speech or it's like, he, he you know, he's just going to try and get out. Of Green Bay. He was talking about how the future of all his teammates is very uncertain, including his, and then gave like a weird little chuckle. And the whole time he seemed super like depressed during the thing. And like he ended the, the interview with th- saying thank you to all the reporters for everything that they've done. Yada, as if he's like, you know, as, as if he's going to be gone. Like just watch it or at least watch the clip I posted if you want um, to know exactly what I'm talking about. But I think it's very possible Aaron Rodgers is out of Green Bay, and that just might be another quarterback on the market and moving teams this offseason. offseason. Remember that podcast that I released earlier with talking about Matt Ryan, Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, Sam Darnold, all of these guys, (laughs) all these quarterbacks, all the rookies, um, Stafford as a possible option as well, moving what's going to happen with Big Ben, what's going to happen with Jameis Winston, what's going to happen with Cam Newton, so many quarterbacks, guys. It's just flooding right now because now we know officially Stafford is going to be out of Detroit. We know that um, Watson is probably going to be out of Houston. And we know there's a whole bunch of good rookies coming in that will probably have starting jobs. We know Darnold is probably going to be moved. Um, And if he isn't, then that would really shake things up because I don't think they would keep Darnold, the Jets, and draft Justin Fields or Zach Wilson or whoever the case may be. So there's a lot of moving pieces. It's going to be super interesting. Um, You know, Aaron Rodgers could easily turn anyone into a contender, especially if their team has a little bit more help offensively than the Packers did or a better defense than the Packers did because he can make a lot with a little. So, And he's playing amazing. 
So it's going to be interesting. Just keep your eyes out. And uh, I will be definitely addressing any changes that happen in the offseason due to these kind of things. And the other thing I wanted to address was the Stafford situation with him basically saying he's definitely parting ways with Detroit. They've agreed on, you know, they've come to a mutual agreement on him being traded somewhere. So everyone's talking about, you know, uh, where should Stafford go? Where is the best landing spot for Stafford? I want to talk about the other side of the coin and let's talk about the guys in Detroit. I think they're extreme buys right now. Extreme buys, especially, most especially TJ Hawkinson because Kenny Galladay has already had like somewhat of a up and down career in Detroit, right? And now Stafford's going to be gone. You think Kenny Galladay wants to resign there? Probably not. Maybe they franchise him, but franchise tagging a guy who's unhappy with the situation is usually not a good move by an organization. So, I mean, if he doesn't want to be there, I don't think that they should or would franchise tag Kenny Galladay. So Kenny Galladay probably going to leave. Marvin Jones, an older guy who, you know, still has some skill and might want to get a ring. He's not going to resign in Detroit with a super big question mark at quarterback. No way. So Marvin Jones is probably gone. Kenny Galladay is probably gone. Danny Amendola, same situation as Marvin Jones. Just He's just not as good, but same situation, probably gone. You're looking at TJ Hawkinson, who's under 24 years old right now, possibly being that off, excuse me, being that offense, him and DeAndre Swift. Him and Swift are going to be that offense next year. I really would be surprised if these guys return. And Galladay, if he does, it's going to be because he's franchise tagged. I don't think he's going to sign a long-term deal there because I'm sure, you know, and we. I feel like I see this more with the, the new guys that come in. They care more about winning than money. You know, it used to be like just sign where you can make the most money possible. And now I see people a lot more often, it seems like trying to go somewhere to build a team, make a put together a sick team, a sick squad, and have a chance at winning a ring, which is, you know, what it should be about, in my opinion. If I was an NFL player, I would care more about that because once you're making millions and millions and millions, how much big of, how much bigger of a difference is a couple more million per year, honestly, versus being able to win a Super Bowl. So, and being on a winning team in the playoffs and increasing your fandom and all of those things by having more TV time and whatnot. So, I mean, business-wise and also just for your own personal gain, I feel like as a player, it's better to take a little bit of a hit in money and stay somewhere or go somewhere where you can win. So I don't see any of those guys returning to Detroit because they're definitely not in that situation, which means Hawkinson could very much be like a Darren Waller-esque volume type guy next year. And he can be very efficient, not as efficient as Waller. Waller's more athletic and faster, um, better after the catch, but Hawkinson can be great and I do project him to have a huge breakout, which we will talk about in the tight end dynasty rankings portion. And then lastly, Swift, he's probably going to be used. Uh, Dan Campbell hinted at him being used in the slot. That's awesome. Think about Alvin Kamara, where Dan Campbell just came from with New Orleans. That's going to be sick. That's how Swift should be used. That's what he was profiled as in my eyes and many others' eyes coming into the NFL draft in the first place. He's a very good receiver, best receiving back in the class, most likely. And also, that's what the stats show from this year. So it supports the initial theory. So Swift and Hawkinson are going to be crazy buys, guys. And even if they draft somebody, which they probably will, a wide receiver in the first round or whatnot, you're looking at three options there. Their defense is not great. They're probably going to have to throw the ball a decent amount, whether Campbell wants to just run it into the ground or not, which still supports DeAndre Swift. So we got a lot going on. There's going to be so much changes this offseason. I'm super excited for it. With that said, we're going to get into the tight end 
tight end dynasty rankings. What's up, divers? Do you enjoy a good workout like me? Do you grind in the gym trying to get built? If so, then you probably know working out is only half the battle with the other half being nutrition. Well, luckily, you can go to BuiltBar.com and get protein bars, 100% daily vitamin packs that mix into your water. I use that all the time. Tastes great. You can get caffeine and protein mixed into one as a pre-workout gel pack. And all of these things help you turn your hard work in the gym into visible results. I use these products myself, and they are great. And I also have a promo code that helps both of us save 10% off with Deep Dive. That's Deep Dive to save 10% off at BuiltBar.com and on any of their products. And my favorite energy protein pack flavor, by the way, if you want to go that route, is the peanut butter honey. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, take a second to pause the podcast right here. That's right. Pause it right here and drop me a rating or review. And if you're feeling super generous, you can choose to support the podcast monthly through the link on the episode page or found in the website podcast section. With that being said, as you know, let's get back to the content. All right, guys, top 12 dynasty tight end rankings. Let's get it going. Before we do so, got to go over the metrics just for the new people that have not listened to the wide receiver episode, the running back episode, that don't know the metrics I like to use. I like to use these metrics when looking at players to see overall talent and usage, as well as you know looking at situation and a whole bunch of other factors. But we're going to go through target rate. I'm only going to mention the things that are, you know, that stand out among the tight ends. I'm not going to go give you the analysis on every one of these things for every player, but we're going to go over target rate. It's the percentage of the time that that player was targeted in their offense. Yards per route run, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's yards gained on average per route ran by that player. True catch rate is basically taking out the uncatchable throws, so throws that were off target, throwaways near the player that counted as targets, stuff like that. Target separation is yards of separation on average when targeted. Contested catch rate is the percent of contested targets that were caught. And lastly, something that I like to uh, come up with myself, which is subjective, but you know, I'll give you my explanation for it and you can agree or disagree on your own. Seasons left. And seasons left is my approximation of how many good seasons left before a big drop off in production exists for this tight end. And I base that off a combination of age and usage. So, and like what they're good at and what would like last into older age. Remember, these metrics are provided by Player Profiler, and all the metric standings are among tight ends only except for target rate. I believe that's mixed in with receiver. So, starting us off, there is a huge debate at tight end one in Dynasty right now George Kittle or Travis Kelsey. For me, I go with George Kittle. And if you want to take Kelsey, I do not blame you. And it's very dependent on what your team is looking like. But for me, it's George Kittle. He's only 27 right now. And he's like young 27. He's 27.3. He is first among all tight ends in yards per route. 2.94. Remember, anything above two is good. Very good. He's almost at three, which would have been top five for even when you count in receivers. Then he is also first in contested catch rate at 80%. This, once again, would have been one of the top marks, even including all the wide receivers in the league. I think he's probably got about five seasons left, the last two about 32. He's a beast, and the only thing really that hurts Kittle, and I think the only reason the people that prefer Kelsey over Kittle is because Kittle struggles to stay healthy, and that's pretty much his only knock. He is, like I said, first in the NFL among tight ends in yards per route run, and first 
among tight ends and contested catch rate. And usually, due to size, scheme ability, I feel like tight ends have a longer shelf life, which is why I say he has five seasons left. You know, most receivers start to drop off around 30. I feel like the tight ends, from what I've seen, you know, especially when we're looking at Kelsey still dominating right now at 32, Kittle can definitely get up to 32 and still be very efficient, especially because the way he wins. He wins by boxing out receivers. His separation is not insane. His separation is only 1.57. I would say, you know, a very good separation mark is anything above 1.8. He's 23rd among tight ends in separation. And yet he is elite because he's great after the catch because of his strength. He's got some speed and he just wins balls outright. And that is something like when we look at Jimmy Graham, that Jimmy Graham still does great. And that's why he's in the NFL at whatever age he is, 34, 35, something ridiculous. So George Kittle is somebody I think that will last for a while because even as he loses his athleticism, that's not the way he wins. So that's what makes me like George Kittle so much. And that offense might have an uptick coming as well because the defense is aging. Robert Sala is gone. And Kyle Shanahan may be looking to upgrade at quarterback. Just wait on it. Look, if you think Garoppolo is going to be the starter, maybe. But I don't think he will. So just wait on it. I think we're going to see a change there pretty soon. So I think uh, that offense is going to have a huge uptick in pass attempts in terms of production for the receiving part of the game. So tight ends and receivers. So that's why I really like George Kittle. That's why he's my number one. And actually... Because of the age, oh, and sorry, Kelsey's not 32, he's 31. He'll be 32 next season. Um, Because of the age, I actually bumped Kelsey down one more spot. So I have Darren Waller at tight end two. He's 28.4, but, but, so he's three years younger than Kelsey. But the other thing is that Darren Waller does not have as much tread taken off of his tires as Kelsey does. So therefore, he has more tread on his tires. And he's been very good as well. He's 7th in true catch rate, 91.5%. That's awesome. 3rd in yards per route, 2.37. So once again, above that 2 mark. That's very good. He also had a good contested catch percentage, 57.7. Anything above 50% in contested catches is good. He got a very late start to greatness. And the people that want to move Waller down lower because, you know, he's only 3 years behind Kelsey and he's not hasn't been as good as Kelsey, I don't blame you. I, I really do not. And for me, it's just the age. And the thing that I love about Waller is the offense. The Raiders run through Waller. Like I was talking about Hawkinson earlier when we were talking about the Stafford leaving and, you know, what that means with Galladay probably not coming and all that stuff, right? I was saying how Hawkinson could see a Waller-like role in the offense next year. Well, that's what I love for Waller. The Raiders spent picks on Henry Ruggs, on Brian Edwards, they have Hunter Renfro, Nelson Aguilar was doing good, Josh Jacobs is a receiving threat, but they don't use him that way. Why? Because of Darren Waller. Darren Waller dominates this offense, and there's no reason to change it, because every time they go to Waller, it's success. And, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So Waller is going to be the dude there for the foreseeable future. And, Considering the fact that the Raiders really gave him that second chance to, or third chance, or fourth chance, whatever you want to say, I think it's even more likely that when his contract does end, that he'll resign in LA. And I don't see them drafting, bringing in another offensive weapon at this point. They need to build that defense. They have plenty of weapons on offense. So Waller is just in a secure role, in a great role, and is efficient, gets a lot of volume. He's in like the perfect situation, and he's probably got four seasons left. So he's really the perfect match of volume and efficiency. That's why Waller's my two. And then I have Kelsey at three. Now, before we get into Kelsey, I will say like the specifics and stats. I will say that 
the people that have Kelsey at one, I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm not going to argue with you because I could see Kelsey at one too. You know, if I have a team that, you know, in let's say a dynasty startup draft, I have a team that we're two, three rounds in and I'm like, and I'm super confident in my sleepers and I look at my first three picks and I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going to kill it next year. I'm a, I might take Kelsey above Kittle and above Waller. Now, above Kittle, that would be really tough for me just because I don't think Kittle is going to be that far off Kelsey as long as he stays healthy next year. But when I'm when I'm looking at Kelsey, it, it's a risky assessment for Dynasty because if you can win next year, then yes, he will probably pay off for you because he was the cheat code in fantasy football. He has been the cheat code in fantasy football for a while because tight end is the most shallow position in dynasty football and regular football everything so when you have somebody that's dropping 20 points per game or 18 points per game at the tight end position kelsey gives you on average versus your opponents and this is from my uh data collection from last year i didn't do this year's yet because it takes a while um but when i was doing like consistency and value over replacement player which is something i put together in excel travis kelsey was averaging more than five points per game per week more than the average tight end so if you had travis kelsey you were basically on average getting a five point boost to your score every week because of the other players tight end that's insane that's insane that's by far the most christian mccaffrey was uh like if you had mccaffrey last year when he was going crazy versus the average rb1 he gave you like a 4.5 difference so he was actually kelsey was more valuable than mccaffrey in that way, in value over replacement. So Kelsey is a cheat code, but the thing is we don't know when he's gonna drop off, right? He's awesome, but I, I'm predicting he only got he only has two great seasons left. He's thirty one point three right now. He will be thirty two halfway through the season next year. That's what brings him to three. You know, could he drop off this year? Maybe. He he might. We, we don't know when it's gonna happen. When I watch him, I'm not like astounded by his athletic ability. Will he drop off? The year after, maybe. Will it be three years? Maybe. We have no idea. It could be one, two, three. So that's the risky part with Kelsey. That's why he drops a three for me. Because I would hate to be doing a dynasty startup. Draft Kelsey. Him be great, but then me not win the first year. And then all of a sudden he hits his drop off. And I just wasted that third round pick. So that's that's the difference maker for me with Kelsey. And then at four, we have TJ Hawkinson. Now, let me remind you of the ages of the guys that we've gone over so far. Kittle, 27.3 right now. Darren Waller, 28.4. Travis Kelsey, 31.3. TJ Hawkinson is my tight end four. He is 23.6. So much younger than any of these guys. So much younger. It's ridiculous. He's probably got about eight seasons left. And for those that prioritize age in Dynasty, because like let's say you're in a long-running league, right? You're in a league that's been going, a dynasty league that's been going for four or five years, and it seems like it's just going to continue. You're, you know, in an established league with a bunch of guys that you know, or you're starting a league with a bunch of guys you know, guys you've been in leagues with before. You know this dynasty league is going to take it home, and it's going to go the long haul. TJ Hawkinson might be the tight end one. He might be. I, I wouldn't hate it, all right? Now, that's really just if you're trying to lock down someone forever and never have to replace the position because Hawkinson will be that for I I believe he will you know but if you're just looking at like a three-year window and stuff which is usually what most people like to look at he's my tight end four 
He's in a great situation. We talked about it. All the surrounding talent except for DeAndre Swift is a free agent. Quintus Cephas is the only wide receiver under contract. Stafford wants out. Galdae and Marvin are probably going to be hesitant to sign with Detroit. And Hawkinson could dominate. He's also a top 10 NFL draft pick. He has lots of intangibles. Don't let Stafford leaving make you think Hawkinson is worse for one second. And there are a bunch of people that believe that right now. And those people, if they own Hawkinson, you have to approach them. You have to. You have to. Trust me, this is one of the guys, like when I look at him, he is the person people will regret not buying in Dynasty after this next season is over. And I would do it, but I can't because I have 100% ownership or 80% ownership of Hawkinson in my Dynasty leagues. And I'm pretty sure the only league I don't have him the guy who has him is definitely not giving him to me because I talked to him before already and he's on the same page as me. So Hawkinson is one of those guys. He's like Boyd, right? Boyd is somebody I have 100% ownership in Dynasty. Every Dynasty league I have, I have Tyler Boyd. And it's either because I drafted him or I bought him because it's not going to get worse than what his value is right now. It's only going to get better. Same thing for Hawkinson. All right, so just remember that. Just remember, I told you guys. Dallas Goddard is my tight end 5, 26.1. He doesn't have anything crazy in metrics except for his true catch rate, 92%. Neither did Hawkinson. Um, he's got probably got about six seasons left. Goddard has been competing with Zach Ertz since he's been in the league, but that's not going to continue for much longer. At most, it'll continue one more year because Ertz has one year left on his deal. He might be a cap casualty because the Eagles, they're in a, a bad cap situation right now. They're in a really bad spot, and they could save a pretty good chunk of change by cutting him in this this coming season or before this coming season goddard has been really good with all his opportunities he's been think about this he's been a streamable tight end with Ertz healthy with hurts Ertz healthy and you might you might be saying all right but Ertz missed some time and and goddard was the only tight end this year brandon and he wasn't that great that's true but nobody in that offense was that great because that offense was atrocious nobody expects the offense to be that bad moving forward at least I don't and if you do then I mean that's your prerogative but you know we're gonna go over when I do all my stat projecting and stuff as we get closer to like draft season probably in like July August and I'm like pumping out all my projections for teams and like statistical projections and stuff you guys will probably get my thought process really deep like a a true deep dive on that team specifically and what I think is going to happen there. But I already kind of see some some, uh, cogs moving in the machine and I kind of see where I think this team is going to be going in my projections. And um, I think it's going to be, you know, much better than this year that just ended. So Goddard is going to be the only guy soon, either this year if they cut Ertz or the year after once Ertz's contract is up and they're definitely not going to be able to re-sign him. He's going to be all alone in that offense. It's going to be him, Rager, and Sanders. Fulgham has shown to be a flash in the pan. Djax is on his way out. Alshon is on his way out. They don't have anyone else. Greg Ward has not really been anything except a guy. So you look at that offense and, hey, even if they add a playmaker, Goddard is going to be in a great situation and he's young. Mark Andrews is my tight end six, 24.4. He's the second youngest that we've talked about so far after Hawkinson. He was really good in yards per route run. When he is running routes, he does get targeted in that offense. Fifth most, 2.12. So once again, over that two mark. And I think he's probably got about seven seasons left. He's young. He's talented. The problem is the Ravens offense, how it makes Andrews inconsistent, and it limits his ceiling. But Brandon, 
Mark Andrews, he was a second-round pick. And he might be leaving Baltimore. That's true. He might. But when I consider the state of the weapons in Baltimore, Andrews and Marquise Brown are that offense. In the receiving game, they are that offense completely. The whole offense. They are not going to let Andrews walk anytime soon. So I believe because of that, you know, they drafted him. So he's a homegrown guy. They like him. He's done good. And he's one of the only threats that they have. I don't think that they would let him walk. And I don't think he's done good enough to garner a lot of money on the free agent market to the point where Baltimore wouldn't be able to compete in terms of pricing. So I think Andrews is going to be in Baltimore for the long haul, at least for a whole nother contract once this contract that he is on currently is over. So with him continuing in Baltimore, they just don't pass enough or accurately enough for him to have a higher spot. And you also have to think of the possibility that they bring in another weapon because they do need to do that. They would be better off doing it probably in the... Actually, I'm not sure. They, they they have two good routes. They can either grab somebody like an Allen Robinson if he would want to sign there or a Kenny Galladay. Hopefully not Chris Godwin. Uh, I think Chris Godwin might be a little too expensive for them. Hopefully, because I, I just want Godwin to stay in Tampa. But obviously as a Bucks fan. But um, yeah, so they, they can get somebody in free agency or they could get somebody in the draft. And this is a super deep receiving class. So they could get somebody in the back of the first round or in the second round if they want. So... He's looking at a low-volume offense, Mark Andrews, with possibly losing some of his target share with another weapon coming in. So that's my problem with Andrews, but I do like the talent. I like the age. So he's still kind of pretty high up there, tight end dynasty six. Noah Fant comes in at seven, 23.2, another young guy. This is when the young guys start coming off the board, in my mind. After the older guys in Kittle, even though he's not really that old, but Kittle, Kelsey, and Waller, that's pretty much those are the only old guys Goddard's kind of closer to them than this other class of guys but this is when all the young guys start going in my opinion and Fant is my number seven he was great in separation fifth 2.01 anything like I said above about 1.8 is really impressive in separation he was above two in separation that is awesome he's probably got about eight seasons left he has a great trajectory as a player And he could be really, really good after he gets off his rookie contract and possibly signs outside of Denver. But the Broncos currently, like his next one or two years for Fant, because he was a first-round pick, so, you know, they could use a fifth-year option on him. The Broncos have have so many weapons right now, and none of them have been on the field altogether. Like, they have not experienced that offense altogether yet. You have Fant. You have Jerry Judy, who will be a target hog. You have Cortland Sutton. You have K.J. Hamler, who, because of his speed, will, you know, carve out a role. And Tim Patrick has shown to deserve a role as well. He's been arguably their best receiver this season. So when you're looking at that offense, who also does not have a great quarterback now, so if they add add Stafford, that would be awesome, yes. But still, there's so many options in that offense that it's going to be hard for Fant to ever get 100 targets on the regular. And he's probably going to be a boom-bust streaming tight end for the next couple years. But after that, who knows where he goes, where he lands, and he might have a huge role. And that, combined with his age, is why I really do like him. But for the next one or two years, he's not going to be that great. And if you're willing to live with that, then go ahead and scoop up Fant because his value will rise. And that's basically what I got on him. I mean, he's a great guy. He's just in a crowded room. Jonu Smith 
is number eight. This is a optimism ranking for me. He's 25.4. He's athletic. He was very good in separation. 1.75 almost hit that 1.8 marker for me. Ninth best. He's probably got about six seasons left. He's a free agent, and this is what I love. This is why it's, I said it's an optimism ranking, because I don't see how this goes wrong for Janu as a free agent, because there's two options, right? Either he stays in Tennessee or he leaves Tennessee, and I think both are going to be upgrades from last season. Why? Because when you look at Tennessee, their offense, their cap situation, all of those things, right? Because I love to be realistic. I can't just pretend like everyone can sign whoever they want, yada, yada. So it's very unlikely that Tennessee re-signs Jonu Smith and Corey Davis. If Jonu Smith is in Tennessee, that means Corey Davis is probably not. In which case, you're looking at a target volume bump for Jonu Smith, right? So he's getting more volume and he's been somebody who's been efficient always. So that's an upgrade from this season. Or he signs somewhere. And if he signs somewhere away from Tennessee, that means he's getting some coin. He's getting some coin if that's the case. Tennessee wouldn't let him walk for a, a low number. So if he signs somewhere else, he's walking into a situation where they're going to throw him the ball a lot. So either way, Johnny Smith is an athletic, young tight end who's going to be seeing a, a role much bigger next season than what he had this season. So that's what makes me really, really like Johnny Smith. I've never had a problem. I've always been lower than other people when it comes to his rankings from season to season. I've never had a problem with the dude himself. I've just always had a problem with the situation. It's too unreliable. He doesn't get enough targets in the Derrick Henry run versus offense with Corey Davis and A.J. Brown. But if A.J. Brown leaves, then hey, it's completely different. And and you have to keep in mind, too, that if Derrick Henry starts to hit a wall, they're going to throw the ball even more. So not only would he be getting a better target share because Corey Davis would be gone, but the target volume of the offense in general might increase as well. So that would even lead to more targets. Then we have Hayden Hurst at my tight end nine. He's 27.4, and he's somewhat in a way connected to Janu because, like, you can make the connection because of the new head coach in Atlanta, Arthur Smith. He was offensive coordinator for Tennessee. I think Hayden Hurst will likely be a piece moving forward in the Atlanta offense that will be used a good deal because. And as a Bucks fan, it sucks to admit this, but I really think that Atlanta really put together a great staff from their GM to Arthur Smith to Dean Pease. And coming from Tennessee, where the offense he ran was very heavy 12 personnel. And if you guys don't know, when it comes to the numbers, right, the number is always added to five, like is taken out of five. So if you say 12 personnel, personnel the first number is always the amount of running backs on the field second number is the amount of tight ends on the field and then you subtract that from five to see the receivers on the field because you're only ever going to have five between those three positions because you know the other seven are like linemen and uh quarterback and stuff so anyways so you have um or not seven the other six so in 12 personnel which is what tennessee ran most of the time right it's one running back derrick henry two tight ends, Jonu Smith and Ferkser, and then two receivers with A.J. Brown and um, Corey Davis. So when you're looking at Atlanta, what they did this year, that was not usually what they were doing. They were usually in a 11 personnel because they usually had three um, receivers on the field, one running back and one tight end. So that's completely different. And when you switch to 12 personnel, now you're looking at if if Arthur Smith does make this switch in Atlanta, which I wouldn't be surprised, 
If he makes this switch to 12 personnel, you're looking at Julio and Calvin as the receivers on the field. And now Russell Gage, who had a big role, a 100-plus target role, is now off the field. And Hayden Hurst is going to be the guy who might be the third target. And he might be getting 100-plus targets. So it's very possible. And, you know, he's a guy who's talented. He just has not really had the opportunity given to him yet. He's a guy that could see a huge role um, increase this year. And moving forward, especially because we're talking dynasty, right? Julio Jones ain't going to be there forever. And if they don't bring in another receiving weapon, it could be Calvin Ridley, Hayden Hurst, and whoever their wide receiver two would be, whether it's Russell Gage or Christian Blake or any of their other guys. So Hurst, I I really don't see how he does worse than he did this year. And he wasn't horrible this year. He wasn't good by any metric, but he wasn't horrible. And I think it's only going to get better. So that's why Hayden Hurst comes in at nine for me. At 10 is Evan Ingram, 26.4. Nothing crazy in the metrics. He's probably got about four seasons left. Why only four? Because if if you're doing math with me, right, most of the guys I'm projecting to make it to about 31, 32. Evan Ingram's 26.4. I'm saying he's only got about four left. I think he's not going to be very relevant after he hits about 30. Why? Because of the way he wins, right? First off, Evan Ingram, like, he, to be blunt, he sucks at catching the football. He is so bad at catching the football. I would bet, like, I'm not a guy who, like, goes crazy with betting, but I would bet so much if I had to. Like, if you put me in a situation to bet on something, I would bet you that I would have caught more balls than Evan Ingram did in the same situation. I would bet that my hands are better than Evan Ingram's. I would bet that some of the people listening, some of you guys have better hands than Evan Ingram. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. His contested catch percentage... 16.7. 16.7. Ew. Ew. His true catch rate, three out of every four balls he, he's catching. He's dropping or missing one out of every four balls, and those are on only accurate targets. And he's, Daniel Jones ain't some Josh Allen, Carson Wentz, like, I'm throwing bullets at you. Like, come on, come on, man. How many times have we all seen Evan Ingram dropping balls? But anyways, I'm kind of going off on a tangent on the guy's skill level, which was not the point of this. So he's a guy who sucks at catching, right? Which is the most important factor for tight ends as they age. Because as they age, they they lose separation. They lose athleticism. What is Evan Ingram's biggest, like, boost, his biggest attribute, his best attribute is speed. His athleticism, being able to create separation through his athleticism and being a mismatch, that will diminish quickly. And he's a guy who cannot stay healthy. So that's not going to get better with age at this point in his career. So like you can say, you know, he's injury prone. He's a guy that you can label with that with that tag. So you're looking at an injury prone guy who wins only with athleticism and does not have safe hands. And it's not something that's probably going to get fixed because it's been a problem since he's been in the league. So he's not somebody I'm really that interested in. He's one of the few people that I, I don't ever take somebody completely off my draft board in fantasy because, you know, there's always a chance that even somebody that you really don't like drops so far that you you have to take them because, you know, they're better than the other options. So I, I wouldn't say Evan Ingram is off my draft board, but he is pretty much off my draft board. Like he's the closest it gets because he's never dropping far enough where I feel like I have to take him. I never want to take Evan Ingram for like wherever he's at. So to address his current situation, he's in New York, right? They probably bring in some offensive weapons. He also might be leaving New York. 
with his drop issue though through four years now he might not sign for a lot of money and he might not get a big role somewhere else so it's not looking positive for Evan Ingram so and now we're getting into this very questionable range of tight ends but you know if you're gonna bet on like the athleticism for the next three four years then it's not a horrible strategy he's not a horrible late round tight end but he's not somebody I'm interested in much Hunter Henry is my 11, 26.2, nothing crazy in metrics, um, except actually there's one thing that's crazy, but it's not a good thing. Hunter Henry is actually uh, very bad at separation, 1.09, that is 38th among tight ends. That was very surprising to me. But luckily he does redeem himself because his contested catch rate is is above 50%, so even though he's not creating much much separation, kind of like a Mike Gesicki, he, who we will not be talking about because he did not make my top 12, um, he does win balls, right? So even when he doesn't have much separation, as long as you give him a good ball, he's probably going to come down with it. So that's one good thing about Hunter Henry for sure. But he's a free agent, and whether he stays with Herbert or leaves, I think he'll have a good role. The only thing that's really different... Actually, I might have to change this. The, the only difference between Hunter Henry and Evan Ingram for me was... I was thinking injury, but we... You know, the more I think about it, Evan Ingram really gets injured just as much as Hunter Henry. Um, so I, I think I'm actually going to make that change. Live on the podcast, here we go, right? I'm I'm moving Evan, Evan Ingram down one spot. I'm moving Hunter Henry up one spot. Because if I'm thinking about myself on the board, who would I actually take? I would take Hunter Henry, not Evan Ingram. So Hunter Henry is actually my tight end 10, and Evan Ingram will be, my, will be my 11. But with that said, Henry's a free agent, right? And Herbert's a great situation for him. And if he signs somewhere else, he's going to be getting paid. And that'll be a great situation as well. I don't see how Hunter Henry, other than injury, could be a bust in fantasy. And he's got some decent time left. And lastly, at 12, this is a a little bit of an older guy. So if you prefer the youth and you want to go with, um, you know, I'm trying to think of some some younger guys like a Cole Komet or a OJ Howard or a Mike Gesicki or Blake Jarwin. He's not that young. Um, but any of those guys over this guy, then I, I don't blame you. But for me, tight end 12 is Tyler Higby, 28.1. He has not had much tread taken off his tires. He's got a lot left. I think he will be able to make it to about 32 years old. He may see a role increase because Gerald Everett is a free agent. And there is no way in my mind that the Rams can bring Everett back considering that you know, Everett should be very low on the list of priorities, and the Rams don't have much cap space. And they drafted a tight end last in this last season. I think it was like round three or four, so it was a decent, decently high pick to get ready for this exact situation when Everett became a free agent. They basically drafted his replacement this year, so he's not going to be re-signed. And this is going to open the door for Higby, who's has been great when he's given the opportunity. Let's not forget, when Everett was out last year, that, that back half, almost back half stretch of games, it was, I think, a six-game stretch for Tyler Higby. He was on a historic pace for the tight end position in fantasy points. He was going absolutely insane. He was on pace for more than 100. I think it was exactly, this actually, I'm remembering this off the top of my head, but I remember I wrote an article about it, so that's why I'm able to remember it. He was on pace for, I think, 166 targets exactly in that six-game stretch, and he was going crazy. And when you look at this situation, I mean, it could be similar next year. It could be. Who knows? But when you're looking at the the tight ends that are left in rankings, everybody's a dart throw. And I think Higby has a very sneaky and, you know, I don't think many people realize it. I just recently found out that Everett was a free agent. 
he wasn't that wasn't really on my radar at all and once I found that out I had to move Higby into the top 12 um because you know I was building the rankings like and for like the last four four or five days so Higby for me is my 12 because I think he's going to have a good shot at a good role for the next three, four years. And because he hasn't had too much tread taken off of his tires, I think he can last till about 32, maybe 33 in terms of age. So that's why I like Tyler Higby as my tight end 12. That ends the podcast, guys. I just wanted to say real quick um, that Kyle Pitts would be my tight end five after Hawkinson. But for the sake of consistency, Right, we haven't ranked rookies in any of the other position episodes, so I'm not going to rank Kyle Pitts here. But he's probably going to be my tight end five. I don't see how he could land somewhere that would make him go down lower for me, because I mean, looking at the teams that could possibly draft him, I think they're all pretty good situations. So we'll we'll see what happens. But I really like Pitts. He's my tight end five right now. If you want to just wanted to get my opinion on that, and um. Yeah, I'm not going to rank the rookies until into, into my dynasty rankings. I'm not going to rank them until after the NFL draft. Obviously, I will rank the rookies against each other coming in because, you know, we want to know that stuff pretty soon. So with all that said, thank you guys for listening. I really do appreciate it. I've been hitting some super high marks on my episodes recently. So I appreciate all you guys listening. Uh, reach out to your boys or your girls. Reach out to anybody that you know that that uh, plays fantasy is looking for an edge looking for a podcast in the off season i will be very consistent and uh, i appreciate all the support guys i really do drop a rating review if you haven't already hope you guys have a good one and uh you know it's a long ways away but let's send some positive vibes you guys you guys came in clutch you came through you sent a lot of positive vibes to the bucks I, i i felt it i felt it and a lot of people a lot of you guys were dming me too during the game and like congratulations brother like so happy for you which honestly that that made my day that really did guys like knowing that you guys you know know that about me and like were reaching out to me and just saying congrats that meant a lot too so you guys have been awesome i really love you guys and uh have a good one keep sending some positive energy to the bucks way and uh peace